chapter 3, if you have a copy of God's Word with you this morning, Ephesians chapter 3, it's always good to be at Redeemer Prez. I appreciate your pastor and love him dearly, and uh, you know I've been here several times. If I keep coming this often, I'm going to have to remember what I say, because um, you're going to hear my illustrations, and uh, just pretend as though you've heard them for the first time, uh, if you've heard them before, but I always appreciate being here and the culture here, and uh, uh, as your pastor was teasing with y'all being on time, uh, you know, Redeemer, we uh, we attended a uh, African-American church for a period of time, my wife and my family, and we enjoyed that culture, but but one thing about that church is it is it would start, you know, they would sing the first song, and there would be no one there at all, and uh, but then the, by the, the end of the song, the pastor would pray the place would be full and packed, and uh, I always thought it was a very interesting dynamic and uh, redeemer has that feel every time i come here i'm always like man is something happened has there been a church split around this place or something and then all of a sudden uh after that first song it begins to fill out uh nicely but uh i, I understand your pain getting up kids and all those kind of things so ephesians chapter three if you have a copy of god's word this morning and i would encourage you to stand if you're able this morning in honor of god's word ephesians chapter three Beginning in verse 14 and concluding in verse 21, it says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit and your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Father, we are thankful for Your Word this morning. We are thankful for its power in our life. And Father, we ask that as we come to it this morning, that it, You would use it to change us, to shape in us, Father. Father, to convict us, to admonish us, and to encourage us. We ask that Your will would be done in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. I think there are many subjects that, as a preacher, that you can preach on that immediately bring conviction. There are subjects that if I hear a preacher begin to preach on, I know immediately it's going to speak to the heart. One of those is evangelism. Uh, if someone begins to speak on evangelism, I immediately say, you know, I just don't evangelize as much as I should. I get into situations and I get into encounters that I have the ability to speak and I do not. Another one of those subject matters is patience. Uh, patience is just something that I wish I had more of. But I would say that another strong candidate of something that immediately gives me conviction is the subject of prayer. Uh, there's just sub-parts of my prayer life that I've never thought that really were they needed to be as a minister, as a Christian, whatever, I, whatever it is. It's not as though I've not had examples. My dad is a minister. My dad is a pastor. And as I, I look at his life, he is 
One of those guys has always been disciplined in prayer. He's the guy who has the cards, and if he's somewhere, he's immediately pulling out those cards, either praying or memorizing what it may be. But prayer is one of those subjects that I just immediately feel like I should grow in, whether it's my consistency or maybe it's my urgency. But one of those is just lacking what exactly to pray for. Sometimes I will go in prayer and I will want to pray and maybe I'm thinking about praying for a child or maybe I'm thinking about praying for my wife or maybe I'm thinking about someone I am counseling and it's as though I am at loss of words. Well, as we come to this passage of Scripture this morning, Paul gives us qualities and characteristics and items in which we should pray for. If you're in any way familiar with the book of Ephesians, you know that Paul in these first three chapters, he has just defined for us eloquently what it means to save a person. He has given us all of this rich theology of what God has done to redeem a person. And we are now in this transitionary section of the book where Paul begins to lay down the practical application of what it means to live out the gospel. And we come to this prayer There are two prayers in the book of Ephesians. One prayer we find in chapter 1, 16. In that section, Paul prays specifically for spiritual enlightenment. He he prays that the saints in Ephesus, that they they would have a greater understanding of God's Word. That they would have a proper understanding of it. Well, as we come to this prayer this morning, if I wanted to summarize it, I would say that Paul is praying specifically not for more knowledge, but that he is praying specifically that they would have spiritual strength to obey God's commandments. Uh, You know, I don't know about you, but, but I feel like that usually in my life that my main issue is not more knowledge. My main issue is obeying the knowledge that I have. That, that's really where it hits sometimes. I don't need another book on marriage. I don't need another book on raising kids. I don't need another book on what it means to work hard to the glory of God. I don't need more and more resources. I need more spiritual strength to obey what I have. I think in reform, the reform context, we are inundated with so many resources. And Paul comes and says, I'm praying specifically that they would obey God's commandments. In this section here, Paul gives us an example of how to pray. It is a passage where a Christian is praying for another Christian. It is not an evangelistic prayer. He is not praying specifically for someone to be saved. He is praying specifically for people to grow in their ability to obey God's word. It is in this prayer that we get another glimpse of just how to understand prayer. If we're going to understand prayer, prayer communicates many things to us. But one thing that prayer communicates to us is that we are sinners. Prayer communicates us that we are sinners and that we are broken. Prayer communicates to us that we are needy people. And see, it is impossible for us to have a strong prayer life and not to believe that we are needy. You know, there are many things that you could say to me that would be an insult to me. But if you came to me after the service and you say, Joe, I know you a good bit. And one thing that I would say about you is you're just a kind of a needy guy. You know, you're just needy. 
Um, you know, every time I come around you, you've got some issue. It's kind of annoying, to be honest with you. Um, that would immediately be somewhat of a, a, a dig into my own pride. Because I have pride. Um, I mask it. But prayer, one thing that it does is that it reminds us on a regular basis that we are all needy people. That we cannot fix our problems. That we do not act in the way that we should. That, that we do not respond in the way that we should. That we do not speak into situations the way that we should. That we do not think the thoughts that we should. Prayer regularly reminds us of the context of our lives. That we are broken people and we are in constant need of God. You see, if we do not have that, there would be no need for prayer. I'm often reminded of this when I am in a prayer service in an American context, especially on base, and I will say, is there any prayer request? And there will be no prayer request. And I will say, this is a, a first world prayer uh, fellowship. There's no prayer requests. I would imagine if a group of believers were meeting right now in North Korea, that would not be the case, right? You see, as Americans, we're self-sufficient. We have few problems. But if we are going to pray, we must be needy people. As we come into this section, he begins in verse 14 and 15, and he says this, Now, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. The Bible, this prayer begins in Paul where he is bowing his knees posture matters our body language communicates something everything uh, words communicate but our body language communicates he begins in this this posture of reverence this posture of humility he is immediately off the bat acknowledging that God is creator and that he is sovereign over all the universe if God is not sovereign, there is no reason to pray. If God cannot do whatever he wants to, there is no reason to pray. If we believe that we are God and we are the master of our own souls and the master of our own faiths, there would be no reason to pray. He approaches God as sovereign. He bows to him in humility and he acknowledges that he is God and he is not. And he says and he approaches him as Father, Father, and we come to God as Father. And there are many different ways that God describes himself. Sometimes God will describe himself in a, in a declarative way. He will say he is holy. He will say he is gracious. He will say he is omnipotent. He will say he is just. But he also communicates himself in a poetic way. He will say he is the good shepherd or he is the bride. But he will also say that he is the Father. He is the Father. Now, he is a father in the sense that he is a spiritual father. There's a major distinction between being a spiritual father and being a physical father. You know, as a physical father, as an earthly father, all I have the ability to do with my children is, is to give out commands. Give out commands. And I can shoot out commands all day long. Uh, Saturday mornings or Saturday afternoon is usually our chore day where we're doing laundry and cleaning rooms and you know if we work just a good hour hour and a half we feel like that we can get things going and it is during that time that, that my wife and I we begin to take on the role of a drill sergeant and we're just throwing out commands you need to get that or you're off task you need to do this have you done your pile of laundry 
But it's very hard to, to give them the ability to obey those commands. All we can simply do is, is to command them. You see, God is not only a, a, a father, but he is a spiritual father. He can not only give us commands, but he also can give us the ability to obey those commands. Because that's what we need. We, we need the motivation. We need the ability. We need the power. And God says that he can not only give us commands, he can not only give us imperative, but he also can give us the strength to obey them. He acknowledges him as father, protector. That's a new sound at Redeemer. Um, he is father. He is protector you know when we come to god as father we are asking for protection protection from what you know i i coach football i coach middle school uh football help out and tackle and i coach my children some of my younger children in flag football and and i always think our culture is is interesting especially when you get around football we we're an overprotective culture uh, we are, we are safety first and you will get these parents that are all talking about this and protection from that and protection from this and we're always talking about protecting our kids. But as you know, you live long enough, you, you realize that what your kids most need is not protection from something out there. They need protection from themselves, right? Um, they have more damage in themselves to do harm than something out there. You know, in our own sanctification, our greatest need is protection from ourselves. That's what we need. It's, it's not something that's necessarily out there, but it's something in here. As we come to God in, as Father in our sanctification, we are asking for protection from our innermost struggles and our sins. This prayer, it has four major requests. Four major requests. It has a request in verse 16. It has a request in 17. And it has a request in 18. And it has a request in 19. The first prayer request, he says, in this verse, in verse 16, he says this, From every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, or in your inner man. The first thing that Paul prays for is he says, I pray that you would grant them power in their inner man. Now, you can tell a lot about this prayer, about what is not asked for, what is asked for. He says, I, I, I want you to give them power in their inner man. You, you know, as you think a lot about our prayer often in our life, and this isn't a knock, and I'm not saying that there's not a, a point for this, but, but much of our prayer often revolves around the physical, our physical bodies. Um, my father, he was a pastor for 18 years of a little small church uh, that, that I was raised in. And we would have a prayer meeting every Wednesday night. And my father would sometimes as a pastor somewhat say jokingly that this prayer service is called name that body part. Um, they would name this body part and name that body part. This is hurting and, and that is hurting and these types of things. And I'm not necessarily saying there's not a point in time to pray for that. But Paul here prays specifically, not for the outer, but he prays for the inner. He says, God, I, I pray that you give them inner strength, inner power to obey God's word. He doesn't pray that their outward circumstances change. 
He, he doesn't pray that whatever providentially was happening in their life, that it would change. He, he doesn't pray for a change of circumstances. He, he doesn't pray for a change of the difficulties of life. But he prays specifically that they would be changed by the power of the gospel in their innermost man. He prays specifically that the fruits of the Spirit would dominate their life. He prays that whatever circumstances that they had been providentially brought in, that they would grow and they would more and more become and conform to the image of Christ. Isn't that a challenge for us? Isn't it a challenge to pray like that? Someone says, you know, I'm going through some difficult situation and it's so challenging to pray. Well, I pray specifically that you would be sanctified through this. It's, it's, it's kind of awkward, isn't it? It's kind of difficult. But in the end, that is what God is after. That is what God wants. He wants our innermost man to be changed because we all know that the battle of this life is either won or lost in the inner man. The Christian life is a battle that takes place in an unseen world. And we need power and strength in this innermost world. Paul, by praying for the inner man, he is, he is saying that he wants them to have victory in their mind, that, that every day they are confronted by a, a host of doubts to discredit the promises of God. Every day they are confronted by a host of anxieties and worries and fears. And every day they want to put their confidence in themselves. And, and every day they're confronted by their fear and their lust. And all of these different struggles and spiritual apathy and spiritual laziness and they're feeble, and they're frail. And Paul says, change them in their inner man. Father, that is what they need, and that is what we need. He says, grant them. It's a word of it's power. It's a free gift of grace. It's something that God has purchased for us, that God has, has purchased this power through His death, burial, and resurrection. And we, through the power of the Holy Spirit, have this power, this, this resurrection power at our disposal over sin. You see, one thing that prayer regularly reminds us is that our biggest life struggle does not exist outside of us. It exists inside of us. You know, sin tells us many things. It tells us many lies. Many, many, many lies, doesn't it? But one of the biggest lies that sin regularly tells us every day of our life is that if our circumstances around us changed and the people around us were different, we would be a lot better people. It tells us that on a regular basis. You know, I, I have my moments, but really... It's the people around me that draw that out of me. And, and if those people were different, if they were a little bit better, you know, I wouldn't have as many problems as I do. You see, sin tells us all the time that, you know, we're a victim of our own circumstances. And those circumstances, they just, they just pull different things out of us. And if people were changed, I was in the line recently at, at Moe's and... As I was standing at the line at Moe's, one of the rules of Joe Gellum in his universe is that 
You know, when you go up to a line, you always know immediately what you want to eat, right? There's no variety in my world. I go to the same places and I order the same thing. You, you don't need to look at the menu. And I, I got behind this couple recently and, and, and I, I felt bad because the man was a vet. He had a hat on. I should have been more gracious in my spirit. I didn't say anything, but I, I, they had been their first time to Moe's and they're looking up at that board and they're, they're taking forever. And I, and I just feel it just boiling up inside of me. Okay, I was in a hurry. I needed to get somewhere. And, and, I, and by the time they got to the line, I could have ordered for them, jumped over the glass, made it, and got back before it had done. And I, I just kept sitting there thinking, when are they going to order? This, this isn't as, as challenging as it needs to be. And as we, we get through the line and, and finally we, we get done, and I feel like, okay, this trial is now over. It's now complete. I did not do a good job in my spirit, but now it's complete. And now I, I get behind them in that, that red box of the devil, that, that Coke box that gives you so many choices. This, this, this American box of patience when you get behind it with a child and, and they're pushing it and it's not working and I'm, I'm wanting to, to reach over them and, and push for them. I'm I'm in a hurry and I'm, I'm immediately thinking that, that, that I would be more of a patient person if I didn't have these type of people in this, this universe. Sin, it, it, it screams that to us. It tells us that. But prayer reminds us that our greatest difficulty in life is our innermost man. His second prayer request that he asks for is in verse 17. He says that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith and that they may be rooted and grounded in love. The next thing that he asked for is that God would dwell in their hearts by faith. We, we see this difference between the union and communion with Christ. Union with Christ is, is something that we get at conversion, that we are united to Christ and, and all the benefits and the blessings of Christ are ours. But communion in Christ is something that, that ebbs and it flows. It can increase or it can decrease. And he says, I'm praying specifically that God would dwell in their hearts. Um, that word picture dwell, it's, it's the, the, the difference of of a, uh, a, the difference between a home and a house. You specifically that have maybe been in the Navy, you've moved a lot and you come into a home or, or you buy a home and you know that, that, that it doesn't immediately become a home to you. Uh, but it takes place over time. You, you live in that place over time and it becomes a home to you. You know that home's strengths and weaknesses. You know where it kind of gets a little more water when there's a rain time. You know where you step on the wood floor and you get a little creek there at the middle of the night. And you know all the little pros and cons of that home. He says that in our relationship with God, we must, we must continually increase in our communion with God. We, we must grow in our knowledge of Him. We must grow in deeper intimacy with God. Church, the reason that God died for you, the reason that God died for you, primarily was not to save you for your, your sins. The reason that God died for you primarily is for communion with Him. That's what He wants. That is what was lost in the garden, was communion. What was lost in the garden was a relationship. That is what is at stake. 
That is what we are trying to grow in. We are trying to grow in intimacy with him. And he says rooted and grounded, rooted uh, an agrarian agrarian term. You you get the picture, grounded, uh, an uh, uh, an architect term, something of a foundation. He says that they, they grow more and more in love. What is love? Love is self-sacrifice. Love covers. Love always does two things. Love always denies itself. And love always looks over. It always covers. It always looks past petty offenses. You say, Joe, how do I know if I'm growing in my relationship with God? Are you growing in your ability to deny yourself? And are you growing more and more in your ability to look past things? Those are the two things. You say, oh no, Joe, I can take something that's really small and I can make it a 10 in a second. Well, keep working. Keep working. You say, do I deny myself? Do do I look past things? Because here's the amazing thing, folks. If you've ever been to Moe's with the Gillum family with five kids and you've stood behind us in the line at Moe's, that's a test of patience right there. That's a real test of patience. And that's called hypocrisy on my part great hypocrisy you see are you reminded are you able to to look past your your own sins but not look past the sins of others if we're growing our relationship with christ we're growing in our self-sacrifice the third request he says in verse 18 and 19 he says that he may grant us strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ. He says, I want them to grow in a greater understanding of this love. And he gives all of these descriptions. Length would, would probably mean that, that, that God's love for us is, is as far wide from eternity past to eternity present to eternity future. And the, the depth would speak of the reality of our sin, the, the, the unfathomable reality that God has purchased us from our sin and it required a perfect sacrifice. And the, the height would speak of God's ultimate purpose behind salvation and all of his plans and all of his purposes. He says that we would, we would grow in that and that we would continue to grow in that. And, and the idea there is that that is a well that has no bottom in it. We are regularly searching. We are continually. It's, it's inexhaustible. It's unsearchable. We're, we're, we're never going to get to a point where someone hands you this and you go, okay, I got this. I'm good. It never gets that way. It, it, you're, you're never going to get to a point and you're like, okay, all right, I got the gospel. Yeah, I get it. Okay, I'm done. There's nothing more to learn. This is not some instructions that you can master. There's constant progression there's constant advancement he prays lastly he says that they would be filled with the fullness of God in verse 19 to be filled with the fullness of God is to in essence say that everything that is true about God would be true about us that's what it means to be filled with the fullness of God that everything that would be said about my character, that you could say the same thing about the character of God. That's the ultimate end of prayer. That, that's the ultimate direction of prayer. 
To be filled with God means that you are absolutely 100% controlled by the character of God. That your mind, your will, and your emotions are completely spiritual and controlled by God. That is what Paul prayed for the saints of God. To be filled with God means that you would be completely satisfied with God. Nothing lacking. If I went around this room this morning and I said, what is one thing that you want right now? I would think everybody in this room has one thing they want. You may have two things. You may have ten things. But everybody has one thing in their life right now that they're saying, you know what? If I just had that, life would be a little bit better. Paul says to be filled with God is that there's, there's not one thing. The only thing I need is Christ. I'm satisfied. When I think about my mind and when it drifts off during a day about something I'm longing for or something I want, my mind immediately drifts to heaven. My mind immediately drifts to Christ. It immediately finds satisfaction in God. And he says, verse 20, he says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. <clears throat> One thing that prayer does is that prayer constantly tells us we cannot plan out our own life. It constantly tells us that, that we don't have the ability to, to set a plan and control it. Now, I'm one of those guys who mocks many things, but if you came to me and said, Joe, what's your five-year plan? You looked at me real serious. You know, what's your five-year plan? What's your ten-year plan? I've always thought that was so stupid. <laughs> I don't have a clue. You know, what I'm eating today, my five-year plan... I don't know about you, but, but one of my biggest struggles in life is that, that I will devise a plan in my head and I will work it out to a T of how life is going to go. And it has never gone that way. It's never gone that way. Two weeks ago, I, I called my detailer and I had a plan in my head. I was moving to Buford, South Carolina. Buford, South Carolina, this, this place is beautiful. This is where I want to go. This is three hours away from Athens, Georgia, where I'm from. I'm going to Georgia games on the weekend. This plan is intact. This plan is in place. All that needs to happen is that God needs to get on board and, and plan this out for me and do this. <clears throat> and I found very quickly that this was not the plan that God had for me, that God had a different plan. You see, prayer reminds us that, that we cannot plan out our life that we're not sitting here controlling everything and we know where we're going to be in five or ten years. You see, church, probably the best praise, prayers that you ever pray are probably the shortest prayers and the best prayers that you and I ever pray are when we simply say, God, your will be done. Those are probably the best prayers that we ever pray and those are probably the most spiritual prayers. You see, God tells us that he will do far more then we could ask or think and that prayer takes a sledgehammer to our plans and our ideas. And he says that in these plans that God has for us, 
according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Church, the end of all prayer, the ultimate goal of all prayer is the glorification of the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's the end of prayer. The end of prayer is not, the goal of prayer is not for Joe Gillum to get everything in life that he wants. The end of prayer is not for Joe Gillum's little goals and his little dreams to all come to an end and a completion. The end of your prayers is not for you to get everything that you want. The end of all prayers is that the person and work of Jesus Christ would be lifted up and be magnified in your life. So church, my, my question to you this morning is, as you survey the landscape of your prayer, what you ask for? What do you ask for? Do you say to God, God, I, my ultimate desire is that you would change me. My ultimate need, Father, is that I'm a sinner and I need to be conformed to the image of Christ. And Father, no matter what you do, my inward most man needs to be changed. And Father, whatever circumstances you bring in my life, Father, I ask that you would use them to help me more and more confess of my sin. That you would help me to, to, to love Christ more and more, to be, to be satisfied in Christ. Father, I ask that you would give me a heart that in my prayer life, that I would not think that prayer is all about me, but that prayer is all about God. That everything that I ask, that, that my end desire is that that would be for the glorification of God. That I want to commune with you. That Father, that everything that was lost in a pre-fallen world is being restored. That we are more and more, we are walking with God. And we are communing with God. That is what God is bringing back into the. You know, as I, I think about what heaven will be like, and there's not a lot written on heaven, but as I think about what heaven will be like, the only thing that my mind can go to is what life was like before the fall. I'm not saying it's going to be exactly like that. But one chief characteristic I think will be is that we will be communing with God. We'll be walking with God. We will be talking with God. You see, that was what was lost in sin. And that is what is brought back by the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Father, we ask that as we think about our prayer life, as we think about how we pray and how we structure our prayer, how we word our prayer. Oh, Father, our our best prayers are still filled by our own sin and our own depravity and our own selfishness, Father. And Father, we ask that you would redeem our prayers and that, Father, even when we don't know what to pray for, that you would pray for us. And Father, that our prayers would more and more model this prayer that you have for us in this passage. Father, that our end goal and end desire would be the glorification of the person and work in Jesus Christ. And we ask these things in your Son's name. Amen.